Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. Today, I'm welcoming Juan J. Sarmiento to the show. Juan serves as an executive presbyter of the San Fernando Presbytery. In his role, Juan provides pastoral and strategic leadership to a growing network of congregations and ministries associated with the Presbyterian Church USA in the northwest region of Los Angeles. Born in Venezuela and ordained in Brazil, he has been in ministry and nonprofit leadership for more than three decades. Juan's graduate studies include programs at Fuller, San Francisco, Columbia, and Louisville Theological Seminaries. He has been active in helping strengthen church and leadership development movements in four continents. All right, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. I am Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined today by Reverend Dr. Juan Sarmiento. So thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Well, first of all, thank you, Laura, for having me. I'm a, a leader here in the Presbyterian Church in the region of Los Angeles and uh, been serving in this capacity for the last three years. And prior to that, being involved in several countries uh, in kind of Christian-related efforts um, in, in different capacities. Wonderful. Uh, would you share a little bit about your faith journey, kind of what that looked like in the past and what that looks like today for you? Surely. I was born, uh, as most Latinos, in into a Roman Catholic home. Grateful for that. And um, at uh, age of 14, um, had a, a very um, life-changing kind of uh, moment um, in, in a Presbyterian setting in Venezuela, in South America, my country of birth. Uh, and yes, there are people that are not Roman Catholic and or that Christians that would see themselves in kind of the reform tradition, a way of, of looking at life and, and, and discipleship. And um, that set in motion a, a, a process of being better equipped and serving. I lived in Brazil. Uh, and then Southern California uh, later, and um, you know, I'll continue to grow and and uh, be amazed at this uh, fascinating thing that is a Christian life. Great, great. What is a spiritual practice that's meaningful for you? Uh, I mean, it has uh, changed over time. One that I'm practicing right now is listening to the Bible. Um, you know, something that probably a lot of your listeners practice is uh, uh, the Bible in a year. I'm listening to going through that, uh, going through the book of Joshua and the Psalms and uh, the uh, book of Acts, and uh, while I walk in the morning. So that is a very grounding experience, reminding me of things that I've heard or I thought I knew, and then I'm getting to know again and see myself in light of these wonderful uh, stories and uh, texts that we find ourselves uh, as uh, heirs of. Mm -hmm. Well, for our listeners, 
to kind of introduce our conversation, would you mind kind of talking about your your judicatory, uh, your context that you serve in, and some of the ins and outs of the the work you do there? Sure. The Presbyterian San Fernando is uh, what is called a council of the Presbyterian Church USA, an expression of the church universal. And um, it is located in the northwest part of Los Angeles. We are uh, we started in '68 when the Presbyterian of Los Angeles became uh, about four or five uh, uh, regional bodies uh, in the Presbyterian Church. Wow! And um, um, we are at this point about 23 churches, a network of churches. And um, a very significant element of our work is just the starting of new churches and new communities of faith mm-hmm. that uh, right now outnumber uh, the 23 established congregations. Wow. And um, our place of vibrancy and 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 the Presbytery as a whole has benefited from this um, effort in the last couple decades of, uh, of um, this adventure of starting and, and engaging what God is doing in our communities. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to—I want to hear more about the new church efforts here shortly. Um, But I had one on the show partly because I kind of wanted to just talk through with him some of the challenges and perspectives that I'm seeing from other clergy, and I wanted to hear his perspective as a a kind of middle judicatory leader. Um, So you mentioned, Juan, that you've been serving here in this role for three years— for anyone obviously paying attention, those three years have come. I don't even want to say it, but you know, during during COVID, what did you come on like right in March 2020? When did you come on? Yeah, no, well, it was uh, towards the summer, so I'm okay. in towards the third year. This has been a time of certainly uh, a lot of changes, um, uh, to say the least. I think what I was doing before evolved in hundreds of countries. Um, kind of helped me, gave me exposure to a kind of of, of life of a church that is in one way or another in, unpredictable. Hmm. And um, although I want to say, I mean, this is not, I didn't, uh, wasn't planning or anticipating to become the, the Presbytery leader here. Um, but um, it, I, I thought, well, if anything, my experience of being, uh, seeing disruption all over the world uh, and and co- Christian communities continue to thrive mm-hmm. and continue to go uh, forward in mission uh, might be helpful. Uh, in addition to the fact that hey, forty seven percent of our population in our region are, are Latino, so mm. uh, that's another uh, element that I think I could bring uh, to the work of our of our network of churches here. Yeah. Um. So it's an interesting dynamic, I imagine here having. You know, you said 23 established churches. How many kind of like new efforts are there? Similar amount? Probably we're looking closer to 30. Wow. And, and, wow. and when I say probably, it's because what we experience in the last three years, right. uh, you know, is o- only serves to highlight the fact that the church is that a dynamic organism. That's mm-hmm. what I saw in mm-hmm. places like Ghana, in places like China. Uh, and so... Um, I think kind of the Western approach to um, define uh, and confine, Mm -hmm. uh, well, we want to define and sometimes end up confining the work of the Holy Spirit in in what is uh, uh, coming about in a more organic way. Mm. Um, And and so uh, churches do 
close, churches do open, um, uh, churches do multiply uh, continually. Mm -hmm. And that is what keep, keeps me on my toes and, and makes all this work very exciting. Hmm. Well, the, the, right off the bat, that's great perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. So I'm curious, a theme that I'm, I imagine you've seen, and certainly I've seen here again and again in these last few years, is the the challenge of clergy burnout. Um, you know, in these two different contexts you have, I'm curious what you've seen uh, and then how you're how you how you find yourself able to support pastors in those different contexts well i want to confess lauren that uh, i mean when i first came to the united states i thought that clergy burnout was kind of an american thing I mean, hmm. uh, mm -hmm. all over the world i mean I, my thought was okay people can't afford to be burned yeah. out. You got to yeah. keep going, right? Right. Until it happened to me, okay? Huh. So, yeah. so you you realize, yes, the pressures mm -hmm. uh, of ministry in, in the Western context are such, are different than possibly what you find in other places. And, and with that also, I mean, a more recent engagement with the global church, you see uh, a level of, of transparency, vulnerability, and honesty that does recognize the fact that it doesn't matter where you are, even when the church, in places where the church is growing and things seem to be, um, so, so to speak, up and, and to the right, mm -hmm. um, there is uh, the reality of, 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 our, of our own humanity that, uh, that is um, very much kind of, uh, you know, earth and vessels um, uh, and God's own presence and glory is manifested through people that uh, reach, uh, at times, the limits of their own capacity and strength. So mm -hmm. here in the, in the U.S. context, it's very real. We've seen a lot of very personal uh, moments in addition to my own uh, moments of, of of challenges and and, and uh, exhaustion, mm -hmm. uh, you see it present uh, and widespread, and that is something to to be very um, uh, to have very pre to to have very uh, front and center the reality of okay our limitations, um, the reality of the fact that uh, we're trying to do something here that is risky, mm -hmm. uh, that is often misunderstood, that is often uh, often brings us uh, to our sense of inadequacy. Yeah, uh, and our and our um, tendency is to deny that and to just keep going mm -hmm. instead of recognizing. Well, isn't this an opportunity for us to allow for God's grace to be manifested? Uh, in our weaknesses, so mm -hmm. to speak, um, and, and, and seek to help uh, and seek healthier patterns of living and, and ministry that uh, need to be uh, approached seriously. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, thank you for sharing that. So one thing that I want to dive into here that I think can feed into clergy burnout is the challenges of specifically a clergy of, you know, the cost of education, you know, uh, sometimes limited pay prospects and just, you know, frankly, not great. So just so-called career prospects. Um, how are y'all wrestling with that? I'm curious, like in your presbytery, you know, in the broader, in the broader context there in California, again, very high cost of living. What are some of the challenges that clergy are facing and, and how are y'all helping uh, clergy and pastors address those challenges? 
Well, um, yeah, the cost of education, the cost of living altogether mm-hmm. uh, in Southern California is is, is um, very high. But I, I remember uh, close to 30 years ago when I came to the country, I already thought um, the cost of private, private education was very high. Right. Uh, and and uh, But now, I mean, it has um, multiplied, it's increased remarkably. Um that is that is a very real uh, challenge because I mean, um, uh, our work depends on the on the leaders that we have. I mean, where uh, we we have um, uh, we believe that there has to be a certain level of familiarity um, and and study of the text mm-hmm. and the context mm-hmm. that that will. Uh, result in the quality of our leadership and the life of our churches, um, and and I feel for people in, in theological education. I mean, our own denomination, my own denomination, is possibly has um, the most uh, theological institutions per capita <laughs> than than you know uh, than any other, um, um, considering our dwindling numbers and so forth and so on. Right now, you will think that that uh, creates ac- accessibility. Uh, in theological education, but that hasn't uh, necessarily uh, because of some other dynamics, institutional right. and, and economics. Uh, economic. I, I think one thing that we have tried to do is um, we have partnered with, uh, in the beginning of a new commission ruling elder program that is possibly less costly. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we've tried to do is is the fa- is beginning a process. We're going to uh, do a campaign to raise funds for scholarships, mm-hmm. um, and then, but then in, in the long haul, we recognize that there have to be qu- uh, 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 questions asked. And I'm I'm glad to see folks at the um, uh, uh, Association for Theological Studies mm-hmm. looking at that alternative was for formation of leaders. Yeah. Um, I mean, not all leaders can be f- um, uh, adequately formed by congregations. But congregations do play an important role in the formation of leaders. Right. And how can we have um, um, a better increased collaboration between uh, institutions of higher learning and theological education and congregations in forming leaders, um, not only in ways that will be more economical, but in ways that would uh, result in, uh, in the kind of leaders that are needed today. Uh, one thing that we've been experiencing a lot, uh, experimenting a lot, and it sounds awful because uh, experimental um, right. experimentation sounds like something you do with not not humans. Yeah. Um, but but people that have um, um, put themselves in a place of serving by vocationally mm-hmm. uh, because God has called them to do that, and we see to support them. Uh, I think those are more viable uh, forms of of Christian ministry and leadership in today's day and age, mm-hmm. and one that we see. Uh, reaffirmed by the experience of the global church. Yeah, I, uh, about an hour ago, as we were recording this, I just had a conversation on the a podcast recording with a with a guy out of New York City. So I've been I've been coast to coast today, uh, but a guy out of New York City who that's what he does. He helps pastors kind of reframe their resume and experience in order to get you know marketplace jobs. Well, that sounds like I'm going to be listening to that podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Appreciate the uh, endorsement there. Um, Another question that I'm curious about that, you know, I don't know what it's like for you again in your context, but something 
I see in my context is the challenge of what to do with aging buildings. Um, so again, I'm just imagining in Los Angeles area, real estate is pretty prime time expensive. Um, what does that look like for churches? Well, certainly delay uh, uh, or defer maintenance mm-hmm. is one of the most uh, significant challenges of, of uh, organizations like ours that have um, possibly, yeah, uh, a lot of, of property. Um, it is fascinating because it doesn't look like you ever have enough uh, of that. But, uh, but if we look at things in a broader way, we we have more than enough, hmm. and sometimes we don't know how to do with it and honor our past mm-hmm. um, and, and what those buildings represent. I think you know, I'm fortunate to to have been in in, in collaboration with churches in Europe, mm. and um, mm-hmm. um, you know the, the amount of, of 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 empty buildings that they have is is quite significant. Um, what what we what I I see is that uh, the buildings tell a story mm-hmm. that needs to continue to be told uh, of faith and faithfulness. And then at, on the other hand, I think, I do think that the Western church has sometimes get caught into in a place of, 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 of seeing um, or answering the question, what do we do with these buildings? Um, uh, uh, instead of, of of engaging our our communities in our neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, and, and and we've as a presbytery we've looked at ways of answer that question in in, in several forms. And so, uh, one typical way is leasing facilities. A lot of our churches are doing that. Mm-hmm. A lot of the churches that have closed or uh, ended their life cycle to yeah. begin a new one have um, uh, also um, uh, the Presbytery is managing some of those properties. Now, a key question is that you can only do the building management thing so long without that taking on uh, the attention yeah. uh, of, 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 the, uh, of, our, of your leaders right. away from the work of, of, of discipleship and engaging and, and telling the story and translating the story mm-hmm. um, into a new generation. So um, we are certainly, um, we have sold some properties, although some people say, well, I mean, that is not a good uh, uh, thing to do because once you sell the property, you will run out of money uh, once again. Right. Well, there are ways in which you can sell the properties and, and uh, use wisely um, the proceeds, and I think mm-hmm. we're trying to do that to to some extent. And and uh, as a presbytery, we've done something uh, kind of um, that all these people will see as reckless is to sell the property and use the money uh, for ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, hence the beginning of organizations like Bridges and Cyclical and others that have um, really uh, been. Um, uh, about the work that that uh, that we value and that uh, is important to us and we feel called to. I appreciate what you said here, um, or what you said there about what was it the, the danger or the challenge of you know becoming essentially a property management firm, right, rather than a church or you know did or 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 adjudicatory. Um, that's something I imagine churches should be wary of, you know, as much as it can be profitable or 
and you know prop up a budget or strengthen a budget that if you're spending so much time managing the building it really like you said can distract from the broader mission or ministry of the church uh, that that is for sure some of the things that we've been looking into and experimenting with is is the leveraging of facilities in a way that generates income but at the same time keeps our mission front and center mm-hmm. uh that could happen um what are some examples uh, of that I think uh, we we have um, one uh, particular church um, in in the Sherman Oaks area looking at uh, uh, doing doing some uh, exciting things with that. For instance, um, well, it's it, there's nothing innovative about this, but uh, the way they have uh, developed their their preschool mm-hmm. generates income for yep. that that then in turn is used for the um, um, the life of the church and the outreach right. uh, uh, and the work of the church. Yet we understand that that doesn't happen in every community. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, not all communities have the uh, uh, say uh, the demographics to support that. Yeah. But now they are venturing into housing, mm-hmm. uh, and they have a very uh, very good plan for. Uh, uh, low-income housing mm-hmm. that will, um, in turn, generate funds uh, for the church, and we are looking at uh, possibilities to do that uh, in ways that don't necessarily um, um, uh, eliminate uh, the work that has been done. I mean, the history, the legacy of the, the former church, but also in ways that enables that. Uh, to build on that in, and and reconnect to its community. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you talked about housing there because I was going to ask that question. Um, so many churches have you know extra land, um, big parking lots, for instance, and especially in city centers or dense uh, dense communities, that land is can be very valuable to to add to the housing supply. Um, can you talk more about what the project is or like, are they ripping up the parking lot? Do they have extra land? What does that look like for them? Well, in this case, they have excess land that they could leverage. Um, and every square inch, um, is, is valuable. So mm-hmm. it could be, it's amazing how it could be creatively used. You could build down, build up mm-hmm. in that even, uh, 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 limited space that we had that, that they have, uh, and that's what we're looking into. Um, but um, it is it is fascinating because there is a sense of loss in the configuration of the former things, the of the former plant or facilities, mm-hmm. um, because uh, as valuable as every um, square inch is. Uh, for, for the community of faith that is existing there, the, it it also brings out memories of their past mm-hmm. and and significance to their journey of faith, and we got to respect that. And I think that is uh, something that uh, middle judicatories, uh, regional bo- church bodies need to um, bear in mind that uh, if we don't, if we wipe out the memory mm-hmm. of what. Uh, previous generations did to bring us to this point, then uh, we f- might find ourselves in a, in a very significant disconnect um, that might not be f- fruitful into the future. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because I'm just thinking, you know, churches that, that I've 
you know, Jeff walked into and explored in my area often have or ha- had, I guess, like a kind of like a, a master plan or like a, a big campus kind of vision that really never came to fruition, you know, to to start with one building and then to add a bigger worship space and then, you know, educational units and, and often like those never came to fruition and, and those kind of big dreams have kind of been pushed off somewhere in a, in a box. But I imagine like there's still people in that congregation who very much dream of like those builder, bigger fruit, bigger plans coming to fruition. So I appreciate you well, speaking to that loss. You know what? There is a real loss. And, and I think, I mean, I appreciate, uh, and I'm so glad that your podcast focuses on the future. Um, the, someone that has been influential to me personally has, uh, has been uh, Leonard Sweet, Leonard Sweet. Mm-hmm. And his, his, his um, metaphor of, of history as, uh, as kind of a balancing between the past and the present. And, you know, if you, uh, going to a balance uh, uh, into balancing, um, you realize that you need to go far back in order to make it farther into the future, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, one one critique I have about innovation is that sometimes we don't look at the past yeah. far enough. Yeah. I, I, I tell folks we got to look be, uh, past the 50s, the 1950s, to look to reconnect to our roots and what we are about. Um, and then that will in turn propel us into the future uh, in in ways that we had not uh, imagined. So imagination is important, but it is it is grounded in the past and and, and in the recognition of our early uh, days when things were hard, when we didn't have those facilities and the current configuration of things, but there was faith. Uh, that propelled us to begin new things and and look at new horizons. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful to think like church existed beyond before in the 1950s. <laughs> so I'm curious, yes, you, did. you mentioned it a little earlier in our conversation here about, you know, trying to do more for churches as a middle judicatory. Um, you know, I imagine, like in your context, is similar to mine, where judicatories, synods, presbyteries, um, regions, conferences, whatever the term that the different mainline um, contexts use to describe their kind of middle judicatory, and it seems like the vast majority of situations are they're trying to do more with less, or at least do the same with less. Um, I know from experience that churches who are struggling often kind of can be like, hey, the denomination's not doing enough for us and kind of just want to blame, you know, kind of punch up, so to speak, and blame you know, the denomination or look for more help. What what do you think is reasonable, you know, in this era of lower resources, what do you think is reasonable more that you can do? And what do you think that you and, and other middle judicatories might need to say, you know, we can probably only do less of that going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, a great dilemma. How do you do more with less, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I think one element is is honesty. I mean, meeting people in, in a place of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. 
um, and churches in a place of vulnerability. Uh, I mean, as someone that has worked for the national church, um, my national you know denomination and international uh, efforts, I realize okay, there is there is um, it is important that we reposition ourselves as not uh, the wealthy uh, partners in the West mm-hmm. that, that will. Uh, uh, supply your every need, uh, but as fellow strugglers mm. in, along the journey, companions in this journey of, of rediscovery of, of what it means to follow Christ in the, today's day and age with the challenges and the opportunities that uh, 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 in front of us. Another element that we find is stopping, uh, yes, what what do you stop doing uh, is critical. Mm-hmm. Uh um, as much, and you heard this, uh, as much as what you start, um, you can't, there's a limit because we're not a God, uh, right. to what we can begin. And, right. and that is associated with what we, what we stop doing. Uh, mm-hmm. so the courage to stop things is really important. I think we can model, uh, or we can show, um, how to stop things. Um, I think there is there is a an element of pride in, in human nature, but also in Western culture of saying, "Oh, th- this is uh, yeah, we can keep this all these things going." Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think an opportunity for us more on the innovator side, innovation side, is saying, "Listen, we stopped doing this that we started only two years ago, mm-hmm. and we're stopping it and and celebrating that." Yeah. I think we're we're showing folks, okay, we're not only telling you that you need to stop doing what you did in the nineteen fifties. Mm-hmm. We're serious about this, serious enough that we are stopping something that that run its course mm. in two years, mm-hmm. uh, and now. And 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 that's how serious we are about stopping uh, things that we've started, um, and and often that doesn't guarantee that people will uh, connect with that or or find that inspiring themselves, but it, it does show um, um, more than just the mentality of we between uh, or us bet- uh, uh, or against them, uh, rather than hey we're in this together, yeah, and uh, yeah. we are literally relearning what it means to be church uh, in, in this uh, times. And I think COVID, I mean, needless to say, was a wonderful opportunity for us to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let me ask kind of one more question in this vein. I'm curious, we live in a very anti-institutional era where, you know, it's almost like a, a mark against you if you're part of an institution or defend an institution. Um that being said, you know, other guests I've had have kind of highlighted the importance of institutions as kind of cultural institutions that kind of carry on culture. Um, where do you think, you know, obviously leading institution, so to speak, where do you think institution um, gets, you know, where does it help and where does it get in the way in today's context? Well, I mean, I work for a Presbyterian, so you would not be surprised for me to to hear from me that I, I believe institutions. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, let me let me let me say this. I mean, and, and that has to do with staying power, mm-hmm. staying presence. Uh, more than that, I mean, I've been uh, with the church in places like uh, Syria and Lebanon, Egypt, uh, and and China, and um, in, in places where you wouldn't think 
uh, that are Christians or Reformed Christians or Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that we have done right is the creation of institutions uh, where people have patterns of interaction uh, that are able to withstand even uh, a, a context that uh, are not that are changing and not necessarily friendly to our presence. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, I do believe that institutions are very much part of, of who we are. And um, I'm concerned, frankly, uh, at our um, environment in the United States where you, uh, people uh, don't believe in Congress or the right, presidency right. Or, um, or schools or uh, 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 the police or universities uh, or banks. Mm-hmm. I mean, what hole are we digging ourselves into yeah. in which there is, um, and I, I, I go as far as saying, yes, we're putting ourselves in a place where uh, demagogues and people hmm. um, that ha- don't have the character yeah. and the commitment to build a strong uh, um, fa- uh, uh, set of network of interactions mm-hmm. uh, find um, uh, an opportunity uh, to misguide people into places that are far from God's peace and the shalom that God, sp- God brings about. So yeah. institutions will be um, um, around as long as we're human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the question is what kind of institutions will be around. I think it is for us to decide that and invite some of the folks that are um, rightfully disenchanted and, and uh Disappointed with the the status quo and the way institutions have been have operated, uh, to to help us co-create a different kind of institutions, mm-hmm. um, a different kind of presbytery, and a different kind of church, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and that is, um, I think, a crucial element uh, for not only for the future of church, but for the future of the world. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I appreciate what you said there about you know. The lack of institutions creates a vacuum for demagogues to rise up, and we're certainly seeing that today. Um, and I almost wonder, uh, one, I wonder what your perspective is on this. Like to me, like those kind of demagogues, and I, and that's kind of a harsh word, I suppose, for for some, but certainly in an age where you know influence comes from social media, likes and and follows and virality. You know, those people become demagogues or institutions, I would say, in a way themselves. Um, you know, my perspective is that those those vacuums, or there's a vacuum that needs to be filled one way or another from influence and perspective and leadership. And I wonder if, you know, I imagine your perspective would be the same, like, there needs to be quality sources of wisdom and influence. Yes? Yes. I mean, the church is, if anything, a place that nurtures wisdom, Mm -hmm. nurtures character, that nurtures responsibility and accountability, and that nurtures hope that is not uh, uh, grounded in... um, in a charismatic individual, yeah, but it is grounded in something much larger, and 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 that is where yes, we proclaim the gospel, uh, a, a, not as as a way of of denying the realities we live in, but in a way in which 
um, uh, people are regrounded. Uh, people become and 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 uh, anew, and, and institutions can uh, um, uh, be brought about um, that that pa- a pattern after healthier uh, ways of living. And uh, and yes, in a in a multicultural pluralistic setting, um, in, in ways that uh, I would say embody, um, you know, that's our desire. Uh, and our hope embody uh, some of the spirit of of, of Jesus mm-hmm. um, in in our day and age. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, speaking of institution, you talked about earlier in our conversation here. So many uh, new kind of uh, faith communities or churches, and I, it's funny thinking about it here, kind of institutional to say, like, we're not even sure on the fixed amount of numbers, right? <laughs> Something very anti-institutional. Um, I'm curious, to to kind of shift the conversation to new church efforts, you know, what does it look like trying to sell to get, forgive my language here, trying to sell an institution in a way, like the Presbyterian Church, to people who are, you know, in a context who they may have no familiarity with the Presbyterian Church, and most certainly they're coming from it, probably at least leaning anti-institutionalist. So I'm just kind of curious, what does that look like? You know, what have some of the, been the fits and starts, I guess, that you've seen or heard about? Well, um, that's a great question. We, uh, I mean, at the risk of sounding arrogant, uh, mm-hmm. we have no lack of, of people, or, or we are experiencing mm-hmm. a, um, a significant influx of people that want to be part of our of our um, uh, of our circles. Mm, okay, um, and, and that is um, well, I see that as God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think for us. Uh, the challenge is how do we honestly engage in a way that goes beyond kind of the um, um, probably not so positive um, experience of, of church and institutionalism that people have um, uh, have experienced in the past, um, uh, oftentimes oppressive, of, of oftentimes mm-hmm. uh, merely transactional, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and I get your uh, allusion to to selling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in a way that probably embodies more of some of our theological convictions of covenantal life together. Mm-hmm. Um, some of what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to talk about. How do we, uh, or rather than just uh, uh, connection, uh, uh, live into communion, mm-hmm. uh, with one another that, that is honest, that, that is dignifying, that is, uh, that embodies, uh, God's righteousness and justice. Uh, those are things that we, that we wrestle with. Um, and that sometimes, uh, we end up disappointing, uh, folks. Um, and I could be honest about it. Um, uh, we're not, uh, if we represent ourselves as the one uh, product or or um, provider of of services that that uh, is um, uh, that is not subject to some of the flaws and the and, and the um, challenges and even uh, the mistakes and uh made in the past and then we're not being completely forthright hmm. uh so i think um 
the 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 approach is highly relational, mm-hmm. um, and and it has to uh, uh, come with a great deal of of uh, also recognition of our mistakes in the past and mm-hmm. uh, humility, and um, and and I, I would just go as far as saying. Uh, Reliance on God's grace. Hmm. Uh, that is what uh, that we are about and, and, and re- realize that it still is needed as it was in the past. Yeah, I'm struck by I'm struck by how your theology and I'm not not being Presbyterian myself, hopefully I'm not framing this correctly or incorrectly, excuse me, but I'm struck by how your theology kind of acts as like a, you know, as a humility of saying you know you know if you're experiencing growth you know and i think i think in church context it can be do easy when you're experiencing growth and vitality to be like oh well you know hey this is me i'm doing this myself or we're doing this and i appreciate this theme i'm hearing again and again from you about you know this is god's grace you know the all we're experiencing is is by the grace of god not from ourselves well, I, I think if we, well, thank you. Thank you, uh, Lauren. I think, uh, you know, certainly Presbyterianism is just but an expression, a small expression of the body of Christ mm-hmm. um, that is much bigger, and God's reign, God's kingdom is much bigger than we are. I've been informed by people like Andrew Root mm-hmm. uh, that I know was re- recently in your podcast yeah. um, in terms of innovation and some of the critiques mm-hmm. uh, of kind of the Western captivity of, of innovation that, uh, um, you know, Luther would talk about the, the Western, the, 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 the Babylonian captivity of the church. I think in the U.S. we have turned enterprise, uh, uh, you know, the, the church into an enterprise that is captive to some of the rules and yeah. some of the uh, expectations of, of business life, which is good. As a, they could be helpful, mm-hmm. but they're limited. Um and, and 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 you know someone like Eugene Peterson, um, mm-hmm. a fellow Presbyterian, uh, but not not someone that that would speak about that constantly, continually. Um, I mean, at times can be off-putting mm-hmm. uh, in the ways he approached, you know, the church growth uh, mentality and and so forth. Uh, but but have to be present. Um, um, so th- those those critiques into our efforts. Um, as we go about it, share the good news and and um, with what uh, Leslie Newbegin um, uh, will call uh, humble confidence. Mm. Uh, I think that's something that we strive towards. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're running a little long here. Do you mind if I hang, give you one more question before we take a break? Uh, please do. Okay, thank you. So I want to ask you about cyclical. You alluded to it earlier in the conversation. Um, so as I understand it, cyclical is kind of a semi-autonomous part. Is it of the the presbytery? Yes. Well, uh, cyclical is an expression of a presbytery's commitment to um, mm-hmm. the, the work of starting new churches, communities of faith, uh, developing leaders, um, providing a, an ecosystem of, of um, discipleship, um, and... Um, we we have seen uh, cyclical grow and and draw the attention of other uh, 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 judicatories, other councils of the church mm-hmm. in within the Presbyterian Church and other denominations. Yeah, and uh, we're grateful. We have a good relationship 
we learn with one another and uh, encourage one another and sometimes challenge one another uh, in, in our approaches. Uh, but it's necessary. That's all really good. And we're very grateful for, for what we've seen uh, develop and glad that in, in, in some ways it might be helpful to the church in other parts of the country and the world. Yeah, I'm curious. Again, we've, we've been kind of honing in on that theme or subject of institutionalism. Um, do you think cyclical offers do they offer that kind of good kind of counterpoint or counterbalance of newness and fresh perspectives uh, to kind of counterpoint or counterbalance, you know, the, the institution and in, in that way, I guess, does them kind of being a separate institution in a way, is that where the real, some of the real value comes in? Is that fair? I think so. I mean, uh, I mean, the same person that said, I believe, uh, the, the church started as a movement that became uh, a civilization, then uh, uh, culture, mm-hmm. and then an uh, uh, enterprise in the United States, right. um, recognized rightfully. I mean, the church doesn't start, um, the, the church starts as a movement, mm-hmm. but movements need institution. And right. I think that's a blind spot, right. um, sociologically, even right. sociologically speaking, that, 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 that for, for us, mainland Protestants, we've, we've thought, uh, we, we are so good at developing institutions that we have forgotten about the movement side of things. So mm-hmm. I interpret Cyclical and Bridges and other organizations that we help, uh, get started as, as expressions of the fact that, that, uh, we are that movements need institutions. Institutions need movements, mm-hmm. and um, one of the elements uh, of cyclical, one of the values, is that it is highly neomatological, uh, in, in the sense that okay, we we realize the spirit is bringing about new things, and we need to be open to that. Um, and and, and uh, yes, Presbyterians, we do affirm. Uh, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, uh, <laughs> uh, yet, yet we, re, we, how do we live into that? I think um, cyclical provides um, an opportunity for us to uh, learn more, mm-hmm. to live in that neomatological uh, expression of who we are as Christians. And let me ask one more question here, if I may. And this is going to sound critical of cyclical, and I know, or I've had uh, Nick Warnes on twice, and. Have have spoken a few times with uh, Brendan. I forget his last name. Um, so I've interacted with some of the cyclical folks, good folks. Uh, I myself have worked for a kind of quasi Protestant mainline, you know, Protestant movement uh, that was frankly a, a disaster uh, in a church setting context, church planning context. Um, so you know that. So I ask kind of for my own kind of trauma, if you will. Um, how do you, as an institution, again, speaking of cyclical as a kind of semi-autonomous thing, how do you, how do you all work together to say like, hey, I, you know, we want to respect that you're a movement. We want to respect that you're pneumatologically led, but also like, hey, we think you're getting off the rails here or you know, let's bring it back. What does that? How, what does that balance look like? So you're again, kind of trying to be innovative, but also saying like, "Hey, let's stay within what we believe to be the confines or the values of our of our presbytery, of our of our denomination, of our movement," sort of thing. Well, I think it is um, um, 
a recognition of the body of Christ being different, uh, having different parts. Um, we, 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 none of us um, expresses the totality uh, of God's gifts, and 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 so we engage respectfully, and at times disagree respectfully, mm-hmm. and and yet, what can we learn from uh, this expression? That could um, that could call us closer to our life uh, as in our vocation, uh, our call uh, as a people of God. Uh, I think we we continually ask that question, and I've sensed on the part of of uh, over the last three years a willingness to say, "Hey, you know what? Um, you that you got a point, and hmm. uh, there's that's probably something we need to give more attention to. <laughs> I can tell you, for instance, one element um, yeah. that that has developed over the last three years is cyclical full circle. I think you yeah. had uh, Rob Douglas yeah. with yes, in, yes. in a conversation. Yeah, cyclical uh, uh, full circle is an expression uh, of the recognition that if you just say there is nothing in the institution. Uh, that can be of of any value to us. Uh, we're making a very significant theological mistake, right? Because we affirm also in our creeds and our confessions that there is one church, not two, uh, and that um, and by the grace of God, also you know there are different expressions that will engage people differently. Yet they, we are we are all about the same work, mm-hmm. um, and, and and we got to uh, live into that unity of the spirit. So cyclical full circle comes to speak uh, uh, to say uh, sessions or church boards mm-hmm. um, and, and engage them into a different um, way of looking at things and and more. I would say faithful uh, and innovative way of of uh, uh, facing the future. Uh, of of each congregation, so that is one way um, they're publishing um, um, uh, arm uh, or uh, efforts yep. have have been helpful to ch- establish churches and even uh, mega churches. That I heard uh, pastors tell me, "Wow, that that's good stuff there that we're grateful for." So we want to see continue to see more of that and facilitate. Uh, that engagement and, and kind of crisscrossing and cross-fertilizing uh, that is so necessary for us. Yeah. I mean, broadly speaking, like, I think it's a great idea just because of, you know, like we've talked about throughout this conversation, the, the different competing com- competing factors of an institution wanting to kind of hold things together, you know, something new, trying to bring newness and a new innovation, and also that it kind of need to hold those two in tension. So, I very much see that. I mean, if you look at the church history prior to the Reformation, for instance, I mean, something that has kept the church um, in its Roman uh, expression mm-hmm. alive uh, is the challenge of the uh, monastic community. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the current current pope, uh, uh, you know, I, I have. Uh, great admiration uh, for for the Pope and and in his humility and uh, his um, uh, desire and re- uh, to take on that the helm of of such a big institution, probably the largest in the world, and complex. But but the the the, the life of the monastic movements uh, a little bit semi autonomous from the the the, the formal uh, uh, structure of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, more official structure of the yeah. church has been crucial in, 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 in the work that they have been able to, um, uh, to develop, um, you know, centuries and hopefully, uh, we'll see how many centuries into the future. Hmm. That's an, that's a very interesting perspective. Um, well, uh, let's take a break here. I, I've kept you long than I already said I would, so I appreciate your time. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Reverend Dr. Juan Sarmiento, and uh, really, uh, he is downplaying the value of this entire conversation. Uh, I'll say I think it's been wonderful, and I think our listeners will agree. Um, but uh, Juan, it, uh, these closing questions tell folks you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to, uh, but if you're Pope for a day, what might you want to do? What would that day look like for you? Well, I certainly hope I'm not Pope uh, for a day or Ever, right? <laughs> and as I never intended to become uh, uh, the leader of a presbytery in a much more smaller scale. But mm -hmm. uh, I would say I would use whatever day time I have to inspire trust in people, mm -hmm. uh, trust in God's ongoing work. Um, as someone said, possibly sometimes slow work. But uh, and also to highlight the exciting um, uh, ways in which the spirit is at work in the world today. That's what I would do. Now I don't. I, I think a day wouldn't give you uh, a chance to really uh, bring about the institutional change that is necessary right. in our church and religious systems. But uh, uh, but I think I'll possibly have some glimpses of of those things will be helpful beyond that one day. <laughs> awesome. A theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? You know, I've been thinking uh, more recently about St. Augustine mm -hmm. uh, as a bishop, um, someone who had a trajectory of a big shift during his own personal life mm -hmm. um, and a dramatic conversion. Uh, but also someone that thought the faith, that felt the faith, someone that was influential to others at, during a time of big historical changes in, in, in the Roman Empire, and was able to affirm the faith, recast the old uh, faith in a way that makes sense uh, to his day and age, and in a way that is still inspiring people to us. But um, uh, as an African bishop, I, I, I identify uh, with him as someone that probably uh, is not likely to be the leader of a regional uh, uh, Protestant body <laughs> in the United States. But also, um, I want to say, I mean, most of the people, uh, I, mean, I go back to my mission um, uh, uh, roots and, and, and the way uh, mission work has inspired and, and missionaries have inspired. I think um, I, I would connect to nameless African uh, uh, Christian leaders that um, have um, witnessed to the reality of Christ mm -hmm. um, and that have not been prominent, uh, whose names are not recorded in history books, but that have uh, made uh, an impact um, and, and, and shown um, just a, the life-given um uh, influence of, of of the gospel that that will be people that I want to I will, I will want to yeah spend time with yeah fabulous 
Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? I think history will remember um, <laughs> folks that were able to uh, remain grounded, mm-hmm. healthy, uh, going back to your uh, comments about burnout. Yeah. And, uh, and steadfast, faithful, um, and, uh, and people that were joyous in the midst of everything. I think people, uh, next generations will remember folks like that. What are your hopes for the future of Christianity? Oh, I'm excited about the future of Christianity. Uh, I think uh, my hope is that uh, we could learn to cry with those that cry and rejoice with those that rejoice and, um, and, and be more closer, less, more closer together, less isolated bit, uh, among ourselves. And I think, um, needless to say, I think Christianity still has a, a, a compelling story to tell um, that is not about us, hmm. mm-hmm. not about how great we are. But I hope about how great God is. Yeah, yeah. Well, where can people uh, connect with you, connect with the Presbytery, uh, that sort of thing? Well, I, I'm notoriously, notoriously bad in answering emails. Okay. So uh, uh, probably people should not uh, try to connect with you. But LinkedIn is a good way mm-hmm. to, to see regular po- posts and perhaps try to engage um, I would say um, probably cyclical will be a, be- uh, a good way of engaging. Certainly uh, our presbytery as an old institution starting in 68. So we try to pick up the phone. Uh, <laughs> so you can Google Presbytery San Fernando uh, and find the phone number there and, uh, and hopefully get a live person to leave us a message. I just saw a post this week that uh, amongst Gen Z, the trend is to leave voice memos and to send voice memos by phone. Uh, you know, I imagine, imagine who knew that you could do the same thing actually by dialing a number and getting a person. But <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I know huh? that's a revolutionary leaving a voicemail message. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for your time. I always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. Thank you, Lauren, and also with you and with everyone listening. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romick-Levitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.